Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. 2004, Michael Lewis wrote the book Moneyball, and many of you have probably seen the movie with Brad Pitt. And it's the story of... Um, Lewis documents the change in baseball and how athletes were valued. And what he does is he tracks what happened with the Oakland A's who decided to implement the theories of a man named Bill James. And Bill James was just a guy who was a security officer at a pork and beans factory, but loved baseball so much that he began to look at statistics in a different way. Baseball, if you're a fan and it just started again, praise God, life can go on because baseball is happening again. Um, but bear with me if you're not a baseball fan. But understand, they used, to, they used to value so much batting average, which meant how many times do you get a hit compared to how many times you come to the plate. James said it doesn't matter if you get a hit or not, it just matters if you get on base, if you walk, if you get hit by a pitch, if the catcher drops a third strike, whatever it is, just get on base And that began to change, and many other statistics as well, how players were valued. Everyone thought they understood statistics and understood what was important in baseball, but they really weren't seeing the real game and the things that really matter. They were seeing something that really wasn't accurate. And when we look at Palm Sunday, Jesus is doing something very similar. He's wanting people to see him for who he is at this time and what he has come to do on earth rather than what they want him to be. Rather than what they really expect him to be. It's so important that we see Jesus as he describes himself on Palm Sunday because that sets us up to understand all of Holy Week and on to Good Friday and on to Easter Sunday. So we're in John chapter 11. We'll start in verse 55. John chapter 11 Verse 55, God's word says this. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, He should let them know so that they might arrest him. So here we have really kind of two different views of Jesus. This is Passover, and if you you know your Old Testament, or you saw the, uh, I think, Ten Commandments were on yesterday, you saw this uh, illustrated, that Passover was the tenth plague, and it was the one that freed the Jews from Egypt. And they were told to take the sacrificial lamb and paint the blood of the lamb on the top of the doorpost and on the sides, really in the shape of a cross, looking forward to Jesus. And the death angel would pass over those houses who had the blood of the lamb. And as a result, the death angel came, and those who didn't have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, the firstborn was killed. And as a result, the Egyptians paid the the Israelites really to leave. And that's celebrated even today. They were celebrating this Passover day, this Passover feast, this week-long celebration, and that's what's going on in Jerusalem. And the people are saying, what about Jesus? We've heard about Jesus. 
We know that he's an incredible teacher. We know that Jesus has done incredible miracles. What about Jesus? Is he going to show up? I don't know. I heard maybe he raised a man from the dead who had been in the tomb for four days. Is Jesus going to come? But the Pharisees, who are the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the chief priests, they're kind of running the religious show for the Jewish people. And they're saying, if he comes, we need to arrest him. So people know that the Pharisees are after Jesus. And Jesus himself, just a few days before this, had said to his disciples, listen, it's time for us to go back to Judea. And the disciples are going, wait, what? We were just there, and they tried to stone you. Jesus says, listen, those who walk in the dark need the light. And that's when Thomas says, makes the famous, well, if he's going to go, let us go and die with him. So the disciples are expecting this to not go well. Jesus is expecting this to not go well. And the Pharisees are certainly ready to take him and arrest him. But the people are excited. The crowd is excited that Jesus Christ might show up. And that sets the stage for chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Word of the Lord says, The next day the, Lord, the large crowd that had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now Jesus has been in Bethany, which is only a couple of miles to the east of Jerusalem, a couple of miles to the east of the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. And Jesus has been at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the man he raised from the dead. And he makes this journey into Jerusalem. Now, it's hard to know how many people were there, but most commentators think there was at least 100,000 people gathering in Jerusalem at that time. And so there are very likely tens of thousands of people along the road as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. And they're excited. They're thrilled. They are treating him like... Like you would treat a war hero who had just come back from conquering foreign lands. They're they're treating him like a king. They're they're waving these palm branches, which was one of the ways that they would welcome a hero, especially relatively poor people. They're, They're shouting to him, Hosanna, which means literally, save us. Or save us now. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They're saying, we're so excited. You are here. You are the one we have waited for all of these hundreds of years, waiting for the Messiah. You're him. Blessed are you. We worship you. We recognize you. We're thrilled to see you. And they're just having this incredible celebration as Jesus makes his way down the road into Jerusalem. So here he is, at really the high point of his popularity. And remember, how many times did he tell someone earlier in his ministry, don't tell anyone what's happened to you? He told the demons, don't shout that I'm the Son of God, because they knew. He's always trying to manage that popularity, because he knew there would be a point where his popularity would get so great that his time on earth would come to an end. But now... Here he is walking out in front of hundreds, tens of thousands of people, and he's not telling them to be quiet anymore. But instead, he does something unexpected. Verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey, 
And he sat on it, just as it is written. And this is from Zechariah 9.9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is a really strange move. You are being honored. You're being nearly worshipped really worshipped, and people are saying, you're the king, you're the Messiah. They get it now, Jesus. It's time to take control. But what does he do? He doesn't come in on a stallion. He doesn't come in on a camel. He doesn't come in in a chariot in power. He comes in on a donkey. Today it would be like he doesn't come in in a presidential motorcade. He doesn't come in on top of a military tank. He comes in on a scooter. I mean, really, it's like he came in the most humble way. He would have been better off walking. He comes in on a scooter. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? He's saying, yes, I'm king, but I'm a different kind of king than maybe you expected. He's getting them ready for the fact that he's going to do something for them that is greater than they can imagine, but it's not exactly what they want. And you know, that is an act of true love, isn't it? I mean, you know someone really loves you if they do what's best for you, even if it's not what they want. Every parent knows this, right? You know you can't give your kids exactly what they want all the time, right? You can't because you're doing what is best for them. And it's true in marriage as well. You give your spouse what is best for them, not always what they want. And at the time, it feels like maybe this is not best for you, right? It's way easier just to give people what they want, right? Just give them what they want. They'll be happy, but it might not be best for them. And like parents, Jesus is thinking long-term. As a parent, you're always thinking, if I allow this behavior, what's it going to be like in five years, right? What's it going to be like in 10 years? If I allow this behavior at 12, what's it going to be like at 16, 17, 18? Jesus is thinking much longer than that. I want to prepare them for eternity. So he rides in on a donkey, and there's four different ways that people are perceiving this. John chapter... 12, verse 16. And by the way, before I go there, Jesus, he refuses to take the kingship. And remember when the enemy said to Jesus, hey, guess what? You don't have to go to the cross. If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the world. Jesus resisted then and he resists now. Verse 16. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about and that had been done to him. The disciples are going, we don't get it. Jesus, we know you're special. We've, we've listened to you. We've followed you for, for three years. We've seen you do incredible things, incredible miracles. You've calmed the sea. You've raised the dead. You've cast out demons. You've done all these things. Why don't you take over? You're the Messiah. That's what's prophesied. I don't get it. It says later they will get it, but at this point, they're just confused. 
They know Jesus is great, but for some reason, he's withholding himself. Verse 17. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to bear witness. And this is the reason the crowd went to meet him as they heard he had done this sign. So the, there was a crowd that was with Jesus when he raised Lazarus. All these mourners, and it's an incredible thing. Well, they're the ones who'd come to Jerusalem, and they had kind of talked to the, all these other people, this big crowd, and that's why they came out to see Jesus, because of the sign. Jesus comes in, they make him a hero, he rides in on a donkey, but the crowd doesn't care because he raised someone from the dead. The crowd is still buzzing. They're still excited about this king, even though he rode in on a donkey. Why? Because they think that Jesus is the Messiah and that he can give them their best life right now. He can give them exactly what they want. He can rescue them from the Romans. He can make them a nation again like David where they go and conquer everybody. He could do all that. Never mind that he rode in on a donkey. Never mind that he's being humble. But surely he can get up on a chariot and take over like David did. So the crowd keeps buzzing. But what about the Pharisees that they wanted to arrest him? What did they say? Verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, we are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Pharisees said, "Look, listen, guys, we're falling further behind. This guy threatens our very existence. He threatens our power. He threatens our existing as existence as a nation. You can't come in and claim to be king amongst the Romans. They're gonna they're gonna put their thumb down on you. They're gonna squash you like a bug and squash us as well. Oh, and by the way, the people aren't gonna listen to us anymore." We've got to kill him. We've got to stop him. We've got to get rid of him. They were felt more threatened than ever. And then there was another group. You had the disciples, you had the crowd, you had the Pharisees, and then you had the Greeks. Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was, Beth, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. There's just some random guys, some people who, when they talk about Greeks, were people who probably spoke Greek, could have had a Jewish background, but probably had a Greek or an international background because uh, common Greek was the, the, the language of commerce. And so they came to Philip, who probably, somehow they had a connection with Bethsaida. We don't know why, really. But um, they come to him and say, listen, we don't understand. We just want to see Jesus. Man, I love that attitude. I don't understand. I just want to see Jesus. Are you there today? I don't really get it. I just want to see Jesus. I just want to understand. I just want to have a connection with him. This is all too much for me to get. I, I just want to see Jesus. He didn't ask to see Peter and John, James. He said, I just want to see Jesus. And Jesus makes a statement. It's like he's doing an analysis of what they just saw. He explains to them what this means, that he rides in on a donkey. Verse 
In verse 23, Jesus answered them. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I'm listening to this. I'm thinking, this is amazing. We're having a coronation. Let's get a crown. Let's get a scepter, whatever that is. Let's get excited. Let's put him in charge of the army. Let's, this is going to be great. He's taken over. The time has come for him to be glorified. It's going to be great. This is victory. Everyone's psyched. But then, truly, 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 I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. A little agricultural parable. He's saying, listen, what you're seeing is, I want to be a seed. I need to die and be buried in order for my purpose to be achieved. A seed has to, has to die in order to be of any benefit of all. If it doesn't ever go in the ground, it just rots and dies. It dies alone. But he says, if you bury a seed, it's amazing the fruit that will come up. And then he explains it a little bit deeper. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, you say to me, well, Steve, you're telling me I'm supposed to hate my life and I'm supposed to be all depressed and hate myself. And now listen, here's, here's you have to understand kind of the semantic way of looking at this. There were, it's extremes, right? He's saying, listen, on one hand, if you love this life, if this life is what you're all about, you're building your kingdom, you're building your brand, you're building your wealth, you're building your power, you're building your position. That's what you continually do. You're building your Instagram followers. You're constantly trying to build yourself up and you love this life. He's saying, you're going to lose it. But on the other hand, if you don't really value this life, if you don't really value this life, but you value the life to come, you will save your life. Some of our lives are too good for us to sacrifice them. Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven, right, than, than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Some of our lives in this country, in this county, in this city are just too good. And for us to say, I don't even value that. Paul said what? He said, he said I counted all but loss, all that I had because I wanted to gain Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you value this life, i got to tell you, you're going to lose it. Just like a seed that never gets planted. He said, I don't value these 33 years I've been on this earth. Anything like eternity that I'm going to spend with those who love me. I'm looking future. I'm not looking present. I'm investing the present for the future. And it makes me very happy, even though it's going to be painful. And then in verse 26, he said, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Here's what he's saying. Listen, you can't just say to me, I want to follow you today, and then I want to do whatever I want the rest of my life. That's not a follower. You can't just say, I received Jesus today, and that's what I want. I just want to have that, and then I'm going to be... Listen, he's saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be where I am. And that be where I am is you're going to have to think like I 
think. You're going to have to value what I value. And if you do, the Father's going to honor you. If you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, the Father's going to honor you. And it's going to be incredible. Jesus says, I want to be a seed. You see, a seed says, I don't really care if you like me. I'm going to do what's best for you. Right? A seed doesn't say things like, you know what? I deserve this or I have a right to this or it's my time for this. A seed says, I want to sacrifice for the future and for those I love. That's who Jesus is. That's what his coming to earth is all about. To raise up people who will follow him and help others. And have others be the fruit of that seed being planted. See, Jesus is loving the crowd to give them what they need, what they desperately need, rather than what they want. So let me ask you, there's, there's four perspectives, really, on Jesus. There's four different views, and I want you to place yourself in one of these four views, these four perspectives. Number one, you can be like one of the disciples. You don't understand why Jesus just doesn't fix everything now. You know Jesus, you love Jesus, but you're frustrated with why things aren't perfect now, why he hadn't straightened out your husband for crying out loud. If he's sitting with you, elbow him right now in a big way. You don't understand why you have this illness or why some you lo- someone you love is so sick or why someone you love is so far from God or why your life is difficult or why finances are in a... You don't understand. Let me encourage you. Hang in there. The disciples didn't get it. I don't think they got it for the whole three years they were with Jesus, really. There were glimpses. There were things they understood. And sometimes we think, well, how are these guys just not listening? Listen, you and I wouldn't have gotten it either. No one would have gotten it. No one understood. And Jesus is turning their thinking, and he's about to demonstrate on the cross what he's all about. If you're a little confused, honestly, you're a little frustrated with God for what he's allowing in your life, let me encourage you, hang in there. Stay close. Study his word. Spend time with awesome brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't have to give you all the answers. You just need to be around godly people. Because the disciples didn't get it, oh, but they got it. They hung in there, and eventually they understood, and they wrote the Bible for us. Secondly, second perspective is the crowd. The crowd says this, and this is what most people think about Jesus. Just give me my best life now, Jesus. Give me what I want. They're me as a first grader asking for a pony when we lived in a small home in the middle of St. Louis in the city, right? I want a pony. You all wanted a pony, let's admit it. Unless you had a pony. You wanted something. And we constantly go to Jesus like Santa Claus. Would you please give me this and give me this and give me that. And when you're done, give me this, give me some of that. And after that, give me some of this because I'm probably done with that. And you're frustrated when he doesn't do it. You're crying out. You're great, Jesus. You can do anything, so do this. And you want it right now. But Jesus is saying, listen, I want to give you something far better. So we say around here a lot, you know, the saddest place you can be, the most dangerous place you can be is happily separated from God. 
Maybe the reason He hasn't given you what you want so badly is because He wants you to know Him and not just worship stuff. Jesus wants you to know Him. If this is where you are, and you're kind of like the crowd, and you're demanding the best life while you're on earth, I want you to change your perspective. You know, the older we get, the closer we get to the end. And it's a lot easier to have more greater perspective on heaven. But if you're young, understand, even if you're young, this life goes by very fast. It's just like a breath. Change your perspective from what's happening today to what's going to happen forever. Forever. Because Jesus calls us to invest our lives just like a seed planted in the ground so that we can enjoy an incredibly fruitful life forever. Third perspective is the perspective of the Pharisees. It says this, I have to oppose Jesus because he's ruining everything. Maybe you're not there, but there might be a couple people in this room right now who say, you know what, I'm here, didn't want to come, my husband made me come, my mom, whatever, and I just, I got to stop Jesus because he's ruining everything. Matter of fact, some of my friends are getting saved and we're not able to party like we used to and just ruining my whole life. Talk to many spouses like that. Their spouse got saved. They're like, wait a minute. We're not having the fun. We use what's going on. Pharisees say, I got to stop Jesus because he's taken away my power. Or I'm afraid what my life is going to be like if I actually make him king. If this is you, you probably have left or about to leave the presence of Jesus. If this is you, let me encourage you with this. Jesus is king, whether you acknowledge him or not. And one day, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord, and it will be too late to make him your king at that time. He is the king. He is in charge. He makes himself available to you as a humble king. He doesn't force his way in. But if you're trying to stop him, if you're trying to keep him at bay, no, that's a futile task that one day you will lose. But today, you still have the opportunity to make him king. The fourth perspective is the perspective of the Greeks. I love this. It just says, I got to see Jesus. I got to see Jesus. I must understand Jesus. That's what I have to have. If I don't have that, this, this is all meaningless. If that's your heart, know that he's already at work in you. He's drawing you. He's drawing you to himself, and everyone is welcome. Is he drawing you today? Maybe you've seen some stuff in your life, you don't really understand what's going on, and you just got to know, listen, we would love to talk with you. We would love to spend time answering your questions helping you interpret what God is doing in your life. If you're a Greek, praise God. He's drawing you in. Embrace that. So today, let me ask you, which one are you? Can you embrace this humble king? Can you accept Jesus as a seed, not as a sovereign, as a colonel, not a king? Can you accept him as that? And can you be a seed as well? Can you lose your life so that you may ultimately gain an incredible 
Don't miss him today. Don't miss what he wants to do in your life right now. Jesus loved you so much, he gave you what you didn't want, even though it was what was incredibly better for you than anything you would want. Would you make him your king? Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.